0: Welcome to Quillette Narrated. I'm your host, Greg Ellis. And in this podcast series, I read some of the best articles that have been published in Quillette. Please support Quillette by going to quillette.com forward slash help free thought live. All Quillette's content is free of charge, but monthly as well as once off donations are greatly appreciated. All contributions help us bring you original content. In this episode of Quillette Narrated, I'll be reading Are Canadians Becoming More Racist? This week's election proved the opposite, written by Jonathan Kay. It was published in Quillette on October 22nd, 2019. Citizens don't feel safe as hate fills Edmonton's streets proclaimed the Toronto Star on April 20, in reference to a gathering of Albertan white supremacists. In the lead paragraph, star reporter Omar Mosley grimly noted the ironic nature of the venue, Edmonton's Churchill Square, a place named after a world leader instrumental in defeating the Nazis. The article was widely shared on progressive social media where tales of Canada's supposed slide into neo-Nazi extremism are now common currency. But for anyone who looked past the headline, a mere glance at the accompanying photo showed the underwhelming totality of this allegedly epic hate fest. About a dozen random locals, surrounded by a number, a large number, of counter-protesters and curious onlookers, plus a sizable detachment of police officers keeping order. Even if one accepts the star's generous tally of right-wing protesters, about 15 people, the conceit that hate-fills Edmonton streets was ludicrous. There wasn't even enough haters here to fill a parking spot. The fact that such an article could appear in Canada's biggest newspaper helps explain the hysterical tone suffusing our just-concluded federal electoral campaign, in which Justin Trudeau's incumbent Liberals lost the popular vote to the opposition Conservatives and got knocked down to minority parliamentary status. As I wrote recently in Foreign Policy magazine, many of the big substantive issues that traditionally have divided Canadians separatism, free trade, interprovincial payments weren't on the table during this election cycle. And so much of the campaign discourse devolved into vacuous fear mongering. The Liberals, in particular, fell back on the ludicrous claim that a Conservative government would outlaw abortion and gay marriage while making common cause with fringe racists. In what arguably constitutes the absolute low point of the campaign, an advisor to Trudeau offered a widely panned tweet suggesting that a photo of Conservative leader Andrew Scheer shaking hands with an outdoor worker wearing standard reflective work attire was a dog whistle to racists. How easy it was for Liberal supporters to forget that just weeks earlier it had been Trudeau, not Scheer, who was seen on a 1990s era rafting video, decked out in blackface, playing the part of Jim the slave in an apparent reenactment of Adventures of Huckleberry Finn? This marked at least the third documented instance of Trudeau in blackface, though the prime minister himself says he simply cannot remember how many times he's done this. Jason Kenney tweeted, Sad to see what's happened to the once great Liberal Party. Justin Trudeau's top advisor thinks a working guy wearing a mandated safety vest is a Nazi dog whistle. A world away from Jean Chrétien praising the dignity of work. Trudeau came to power in 2015 as a unifying left centrist. During the first half of his mandate, he applied an admirably steady hand while guiding Canada through a potentially catastrophic trade crisis with the United States, and most observers, including me, had him as a shoo-in for easy re-election. But as months passed... Trudeau and his advisers became seduced by the culture wars and their postures on such issues as toxic masculinity and gender expression became increasingly indistinguishable from those of campus activists. This in turn opened Trudeau up to charges of hypocrisy when his political moves, being governed as with all politicians by the art of the possible, were judged according to the unforgiving absolutist standards of the social justice puritanism he was now preaching. Trudeau sang from the environmentalist hymn book, but spent four billion US dollars on an oil pipeline, earning him a rebuke from Greta Thunberg. He promised to bring about reconciliation with indigenous people, but then fired his indigenous justice minister when she rightly blocked his plans to coddle a politically influential engineering firm facing criminal charges. He made a spectacle of himself as a literally dancing mascot of multiculturalism, but mostly stared at his shoes when asked about provincial legislation that would ban Quebec civil service workers from wearing visible religious attire. Throughout it all, the main tactic that Liberals had to deflect negative attention was to insist that the greater threat to tolerant Canadian values lay with the Conservatives. In one preposterous gambit, Trudeau's immigration minister even cited the issue of Trudeau's blackface to attack Shear, affecting indignation that the conservative leader would bring up blackface to kick off a national debate without acknowledging real issues of systemic racism in Canada. And in this project... Trudeau found a willing ally in a national and international media corp that, having spent the last three years reporting on the genuinely racist pronouncements of US President Donald Trump, was searching the political skies for signs that Trumpian xenophobia was metastasizing north of the border. From a partisan perspective, yesterday's election results seemed to disappoint almost everyone. The liberals were knocked down to a minority. The Conservatives lost their shot at governing despite facing a weakened, scandal-plagued PM. The left of Liberal New Democratic Party, NDP, and Greens both failed to make the quantum leap that some polls had predicted. Only the Bloc Québécois, BQ, a regional separatist party once given up for dead, had reason to pop a champagne bottle or two. But the big story... For anyone who took seriously the pre-election social panic over allegedly epidemic levels of Canadian hate and bigotry was that the only well-known party that offered anything close to an anti-immigration agenda, Maxime Bernier's People's Party, got just 2% of the vote. Canada's per capita immigration rate is amongst the highest in the developed world, and 98% of voters supported parties who pledged to keep it that way. Given that Canada is ranked as the world's fourth most accepting country for immigrants, this should not be surprising to objective observers who live outside Canada's progressive media bubble. The global rankings have us just below Iceland, New Zealand, and oddly Rwanda. None of the major political parties said they would upset the status quo by which Canada immigrates about 0.7% of its population every year. The BQ's critique of immigration policy was based on questions of regional allocation and French language skills, not total numbers. Even Bernier's more nativist PPC, dismissed as a fringe party by many, pledged to admit 150,000 immigrants per year, half of the current total, but still a level that would rank Canada respectably among OECD countries on per capita intake. Any Canadian who supported a truly xenophobic approach to immigration would have had to cast their vote for an even more obscure party, such as Christian Heritage Party or the Canadian Nationalist, which, taken together, attracted fewer than 20,000 of the 17.9 million total votes cast, or about 1% per thousand. A few years back... When Trump was freshly elected and Trudeau still had his woke warrior Sheen, numerous pundits gushed about the lessons in tolerance that Canada supposedly had an offer for the rest of the world. But for the most part, it mostly comes down to the accident of geography. Since Canada is physically isolated from large-scale land-based migrations, we aren't beset by the uncontrolled flows that have sparked xenophobic ire in the United States and Europe. Moreover, as Jonathan Tepperman documented in his 2016 book, The Fix, How Nations Survive and Thrive in a World in Decline, our system of selecting immigrants, quote, primarily on the basis of what they could contribute to the Canadian economy instead of what they looked like or whether they already had family in the country, has yielded impressive material dividends that benefited everyone, unquote. But this good news is often hidden. We have all been conditioned by US and European media to identify immigration as a defining cleft issue between left and right. And so the lack of any real anti-immigration constituency in Canada has created a sense of cognitive dissonance. Even after an election in which the People's Party won exactly zero seats, a Globe and Mail columnist now warns us that the results should not be taken as a definitive repudiation of right-wing populism, since Bernier was so bad at actually trying to advance that cause, an odd claim to make given Bernier's surprise inclusion in the most widely watched debate. Of course, Canada is a country of more than 37 million people. So it's bound to have a few bigots, some of whom made cameo appearances during this campaign. This included yokels who made racist comments to NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, a turbaned Sikh. But even this became a good news story as Singh's lucid and humane approach to these scattered episodes went viral and became a powerful earned media signal booster for his own political brand. Indeed, there are now enough of these videos online that they arguably constitute a new social media genre that might be dubbed Canadian tolerance porn. And when a Syrian restaurant in Toronto closed down permanently due to racist threats arising from a confrontation at a political event, the Liberals made a point of serving the restaurant's food to its journalistic retinue. As of last reports, the restaurant is now back in business. Perhaps the most powerful rebuke to fear is the array of faces featured on the election signs now being picked up from lawns all over Canada. All of the major parties featured a wide diversity of candidates, including the Conservative parties. In the Toronto riding of Scarborough North, where my daughter plays hockey, for instance, the race included A, Sean Chan, the son of hacker Chinese immigrants, B, Yan Chen, a Chinese-Canadian legal advocate. C, Jude Guerriere, an immigrant from Haiti. D, David Kong, a Chinese-Canadian immigrant and radio commentator. And E, Avery Velez, a self-described non-binary, trans, queer, indigenous, activist, feminist and Newfoundlander. Can you guess which one of these candidates ran for Bernier's PPC? The correct answer may be found here, in a tweet by Tahir Goura. If a People's PCA candidate at Tara Das, former refugee from Zimbabwe, is labelled as Nazi scum in Canadian politics, then we should be worried by growing intolerance of extreme left in our political arena. End tweet. But my favourite example comes courtesy of the PPC candidate in my riding, whose campaign signs were spray painted. Fuck off, Nazi scum, by Antifa supporters. Just a few years ago, one might imagine that the presence of such graffiti really might signal a political candidate with genuinely fascistic tendencies. But in 2019, we know better. The PPC candidate in question, Tara Das Remedios, is a Sri Lankan-born woman who arrived in Canada as a refugee. If this woman of colour is what passes for a Nazi in 2019, then Canada is surely one of the luckiest nations on the planet. Thank you for listening. And remember, we don't charge anything for Quillette's content, but monthly as well as once-off donations are appreciated. Please support us by going to quillette.com forward slash help freethought live. All contributions, however small, help us bring you original content.